Any of you ever seen Star Trek? Picard, Data, Spock, Seven of Nine, Janeway, Kirk, etc. The Enterprise, Voyager, Discovery. Well, it's all part and parcel of a science fiction ideal future. You have a Starfleet and a Starfleet Command. Oh, and even a Starfleet Academy. You have member planets. Early on, you had the Klingons and their evil empire as sworn enemies. But later, they joined the United Federation of Planets, coming under the Starfleet banner. Starfleet supposedly has these fancy ideals and membership protocols. It's safe in Starfleet. It's nasty outside Starfleet. Starfleet commanders have fancy uniforms, speak fluent English, with the aid of a universal translator, of course. And above all, adhere to strict discipline and an acceptance of aliens as equal to humans. This was borrowed from the NATO playbook. NATO, N-A-T-O, or the North Atlantic Treaty Organization, is an intergovernmental military alliance between, currently as of 2022, 27 European countries, two North American countries, and one Eurasian country. The organization implements the North Atlantic Treaty that was signed on the 4th of April, 1949. NATO constitutes a system of what is known as collective security, where its independent member states agree to mutual defense in response to an attack by any non-NATO party, i.e. an external party. The NATO headquarters are in Brussels, while the headquarters of Allied Command Operations is near Mon. Both cities are actually in Belgium. The current members, as of uh, 2022, are Albania, Belgium, Bulgaria, Canada, Croatia, Czech Republic, Denmark, Estonia, France, Germany, Greece, Hungary, Iceland, Italy, Latvia, Lithuania, Luxembourg, Montenegro, Netherlands, North Macedonia, Norway, Poland, Portugal, Romania, Slovakia, Slovenia, Spain, Turkey, the UK, and the US. The big contributors in terms of money and men are France, the United Kingdom, and Turkey. However, the largest contributor by far is the United States. NATO's early origins starts very soon after the end of World War II. The Treaty of Dunkirk was signed on the 4th of March 1947 between France and the United Kingdom in the city of Dunkirk. Obviously, that's in France. As Treaty of Alliances and a mutual assistance against a possible German attack in the aftermath of World War II. It ended into force on the 8th of September 1947, and according to Article 6, Paragraph 2 of its text, it remained in force for a period of 50 years. The German threat, of course, was a pretext for defense against the Soviet Union, because at that point, Germany was a rubble and very much split, humiliated, and occupied by four foreign powers. The Treaty of Brussels, also referred to as the Brussels Pact, was the founding treaty of what was known as the Western Union. The Western Union, also referred to as the Brussels Treaty Organization, or BTO, was the European military alliance established between France, the UK, and the three Benelux countries in September 1948 
to implement the Treaty of Brussels. The Soviet threat became immediate with the Berlin blockade in 1948, leading to the creation of a multinational defense organization known as the Western Union Defense Organization in September 1948. However, the parties were too weak militarily to counter the Soviet armed forces. In addition, the communist 1948 Czechoslovak coup d'etat had overthrown a democratic government and British Foreign Minister Ernest Bevin and Prime Minister Clement Attlee argued that the best way to prevent another Czechoslovakia was to evolve a joint Western military strategy. He got a decent hearing in the United States, especially with the American anxiety over Italy and the Italian Communist Party. In 1948, European leaders met with U.S. defense, military, and diplomatic officials at the U.S. Pentagon in Washington, exploring a framework for a new and unprecedented association. The talks resulted in the North Atlantic Treaty, and the United States signed on the 4th of April 1949. It included the five Treaty of Brussels states, as well as the United States, Canada, Portugal, Italy, Norway, Denmark, and Iceland. The creation of NATO can be seen as the primary institutional consequence of a school of thought called Atlanticism, which stressed the importance of transatlantic cooperation. Atlanticism is the belief in or support for a close relationship between the United States, Canada, and European countries, but not Russia and Belarus. The first NATO Secretary General, a British general appointed by the Attlee government, a Lord Ismay, stated in 1949 that the organization's goal was, and I quote, to keep the Russians out, the Americans in, and the Germans down, end quote. So in other words, keep the Ruskies out, the Yanks in, and the Krauts down. To that end, it is the most successful military alliance in history. As of early 2022, the Russians are out, but biting at the edges in places like Ukraine and Georgia. The Germans are down and very domesticated, no military to speak of, and the Americans are certainly in, playing to supposed American egos on leadership and militarism American troops and money keep the Germans down and Russians out. It is what allows the European countries and Canada to cut their security spend and let the U.S. taxpayer foot the bill. Europeans can then focus on important initiatives like healthcare, infrastructure, education. Americans can worry about Ukraine's borders over its own borders. The members agreed that an armed attack against any of them in Europe or North America would be considered an attack against them all. Consequently, they agreed that if an armed attack occurred each of them in the exercise of the right of individual or collective self-defense would assist the member being attacked and take such action as it deemed necessary, including the use of armed force, to restore and maintain the security of the North Atlantic area. The treaty does not require members to respond with military action against the aggressor in technical terms. Although obliged to respond, they maintain the freedom to choose the method by which to do so. That differs from Article 4 of the Treaty of Brussels, which clearly states that the response is military in nature. NATO members are nonetheless assumed to aid the attacked military member militarily. 
the treaty was later clarified to include both the members' territory and their vessels, forces or aircraft north of the Tropic of Cancer that brought in some overseas departments of France. The outbreak of the Korean War in June 1950 was crucial for NATO as it raised the apparent threat of all communist countries working together and forced the alliance to develop a concrete military plan. Supreme Headquarters Allied Powers Europe, also known as SHAPE, SHAPE, was formed to direct forces in Europe and began work under Supreme Allied Commander at the time, Dwight Eisenhower, in January 1951. In September 1950, the NATO Military Committee called for an ambitious build-up of conventional forces to meet the Soviets and reaffirmed that position in February 1952, meeting of the North Atlantic Council in Lisbon. At this time, NATO could call on about 15 ready divisions in Central Europe and another 10 in Italy and Scandinavia. Also at Lisbon, the post of Secretary General of NATO as the organization's chief civilian was created and Lord Ismay was eventually appointed to the post. In September of 1952, the first major NATO maritime exercises began. What was known as Exercise Mainbrace brought together 200 ships and over 50,000 personnel to practice defense of Denmark and Norway. Greece and Turkey also joined the alliance in 1952, forcing a series of controversial negotiations between the US and Britain over how to bring both countries into the military command structure. Among other things, the Turks and the Greeks don't like one another. While that overt military preparation was going on, Covert stayed behind arrangements initially made by the Western European Union to continue resistance after a successful Soviet invasion, including Operation Guido, were transferred to NATO control. Unofficial bonds began to grow between NATO's armed forces such as NATO Tiger Association and compositions such as the Canadian Army Trophy for Tank Gunnery. Interestingly, in 1954, the Soviet Union suggested that it should join NATO in order to preserve peace in Europe. That's right, the USSR suggested joining NATO. The NATO countries at the time, however, feared that the Soviet Union's motive was to weaken the alliance and rejected the proposal. On the 17th of December 1954, the North Atlantic Council approved MC-48, a key document in the evolution of NATO nuclear thought. MC-48 emphasized that NATO had to use atomic weapons from the outset of a war with the Soviet Union, whether the Soviets chose to use them first or not. In other words, NATO would strike first. The addition of what was then West Germany into the organization on the 9th of May 1955 was described as a decisive turning point in the history of the European continent, at least as far as the USSR was concerned. A major reason was that German manpower was necessary to have enough conventional forces to resist a Soviet invasion. One of the immediate results of West German entry was the creation of the Warsaw Pact as a reaction, which was signed on the 14th of May 1955 by the USSR, Hungary, Czechoslovakia, Poland, Bulgaria, Romania, Albania, and East Germany, thereby delineating the two opposing sides of the Cold War. The Warsaw Pact was the military complement to the Council for Mutual Economic Assistance, or COMICON, the regional economic organization for the socialist states of Central and Eastern Europe. The Warsaw Pact was created in reaction 
to the integration of West Germany into NATO. In short, the Warsaw Pact was established as a balance of power to NATO after the West Germans were brought into the group. NATO's unity was breached early, interestingly, in its history, with a crisis occurring during Charles de Gaulle's presidency of France. De Gaulle protested the strong role of the US in NATO and what he perceived as a special relationship between it and the UK. In a memorandum sent to US President Dwight Eisenhower and British Prime Minister Harold McMillan on the 17th of September 1958, he argued for the creation of a tripartite tourate which would put France on an equal footing with the US and UK. Considering the response to be unsatisfactory, de Gaulle began constructing an independent defense force for his country. He wanted to give France, in the event of an East German incursion into West Germany, the option of coming to a separate peace with the Eastern Bloc instead of being drawn into a larger war between NATO and the Warsaw Pact. In February 1959, France withdrew its Mediterranean fleet from NATO command and it later banned the stationing of foreign nuclear weapons on French soil. That caused the United States to transfer 300 military aircraft out of France and to return control of the air force bases that had operated in France since 1950 back to the French by 1967. Though France showed solidarity with the rest of NATO during the Cuban Missile Crisis in 1962, President de Gaulle continued his pursuit of an independent defense by removing France's Atlantic and Channel fleets from NATO command. In 1966, all French armed forces were removed from NATO's integrated military command and all non-French NATO troops were asked to leave France. France remained a member of the alliance and committed to the defense of Europe from possible Warsaw Pact attack with its own forces stationed in West Germany throughout the Cold War. In the end, there was a series of secret accords between the US and French detailing how French forces would dovetail right back into NATO's command structure if East-West hostilities actually broke out. In 1974, because of the Turkish invasion of Cyprus, Greek withdrew its forces from NATO's military command structure, but with Turkish cooperation was ultimately readmitted back in 1980. The Falklands War between the United Kingdom and Argentina did not result in NATO involvement because Article 6 of the North Atlantic Treaty specifies that collective self-defense is applicable only to attacks on member state territories north of the Tropic of Cancer. And of course, the Falklands is in the South Pacific. On the 30th of May 1982, NATO gained a new member when the newly democratic Spain joined the alliance, as was confirmed by referendum in 1986. At the peak of the Cold War, 16 member nations maintained an approximate strength of 5,252,000 active militaries, including as many as 435,000 forward deployed U.S. forces under a command structure that reached at a peak of 78 headquarters organized into four groups. The revolutions of 1989 and the dissolution of the Warsaw Pact in 1991 removed the de facto main adversary for NATO and caused a strategic reevaluation of NATO's purpose, nature, tasks, and focus on the continent of Europe. The shift started with the 1990 signing in Paris of the Treaty on Conventional Armed Forces in Europe between NATO and the Soviet Union, which mandated specific military reductions across the continent that continued, by the way, after the dissolution of the Soviet Union in December 1991. European countries then accounted for 34% of NATO's military spending. By 2012, 
that had fallen to 21%. An expansion of NATO came with German reunification on the 3rd of October 1990, and the former East Germany became part of the Federal Republic of Germany and of the Alliance. That had been agreed in the 2 plus 4 treaty earlier that year. To secure Soviet approval for United Germany remaining in NATO, it was agreed that foreign troops and nuclear weapons would not be stationed in the East. There was no formal commitment in the agreement not to expand NATO to the East, but there are conflicting views on whether negotiators gave informal commitments regarding further NATO expansion. Jack Matlock, the American ambassador to the Soviet Union during its final years, said that the West, the West gave a clear commitment not to expand and declassified documents indicating that Soviet negotiators were given the impression that NATO membership was off the table for countries such as Czechoslovakia, Hungary or Poland. Hans Dietrich, then West German Foreign Minister, said in a conversation with Soviet Foreign Minister Edward Shevardnadze, and I quote, For us, however, one thing is certain, NATO will not expand to the East, end quote. In 1996, Mikhail Gorbachev wrote in his memoirs that during the negotiations on the unification of Germany, they gave assurances that NATO would not extend its zone of operation to the east, end quote, and he repeated that view in an interview in 2008. However, to confuse matters, in 2014, Gorbachev stated the exact opposite. He said, and I quote, the topic of NATO expansion was not discussed at all in 1990, and it wasn't brought up in those years. I say this with, I say this with full responsibility. Western leaders didn't bring it up either, end quote. According to Robert Solik, a U.S. State Department official involved in the 2 plus 4 negotiating process, that appears to be a misinterpretation and ultimately no formal commitment regarding enlargement was ever made. As part of restructuring, NATO's military structure was cut back and reorganized with new forces such as Headquarters Allied Command Europe Rapid Reaction Corps being established. The changes brought about by the collapse of the Soviet Union on the military balance in Europe were recognized in the Adapted Conventional Armed Forces in Europe Treaty, which was signed in 1999. The policies of French President Nicolas Sarkozy resulted in a major reform of France's military position, resulting in the return to full membership of France on the 4th of April 2009, which also included France rejoining the NATO military command structure, but maintaining an independent nuclear deterrent of its own. The roughly two times NATO went to war was one against Serbia in the 1990s and two after 9-11 in Afghanistan. The anti-Serb operation opened Russian eyes as to what NATO's intent could be or truly was. That was of expansion. By 1999, it was too late since enough Eastern Bloc countries had been sucked up into the US alliance. I want to spend some time talking about NATO expansion, post-Cold War, remembering the plan, Germans down, American in, and Russian out. The treaty's Article 10 describes how non-member states may join NATO and outlines NATO's, in inverted commas, open door policy. And I quote from the treaty here, the parties may be unanimous by agreement, invite any the European state in a position to further the principles of this treaty and to contribute to the security of the North Atlantic area to accede to this treaty. Any state so invited may become a party to the treaty by depositing its instrument of accession with the government of the United States of America. The government of the United States of America will inform each of the parties of deposit of each such instrument of accession, end quote. 
This article poses two general limits to non-member states. First, only European states are eligible for new membership. And second, states not only need the approval of all the existing member states, but every member state can ultimately put some criteria for what that must be attained. In practice, NATO formulates a common set of criteria. But, for instance, Greece blocked the Republic of Macedonia's accession to NATO for many years due to a disagreement over the use of the name Macedonia. Turkey similarly opposes the participation of the Republic of Cyprus with NATO institutions as long as the Cyprus dispute is not resolved with Greece. The biggest step in the formalization of the process for inviting new members came at the 1999 Washington Summit when the Membership Action Plan, or MAP, mechanism was approved as a stage for the current members to regularly review the formal applications of aspiring members. A country's participation in MAP entails the annual presentation of reports concerning its progress on five different measures. And these five measures are, number one, a willingness to settle international, ethnic, or external territorial disputes by peaceful means, commitment to the rule of law, and human rights and democratic control of armed forces. Number two, the ability to contribute to the organization's defense and missions. Three, devotion of sufficient resources to armed forces to be able to meet the commitments of membership. Number four, security of sensitive information and safeguards ensuring it. And number five, compatibility of domestic legislation with NATO cooperation. NATO provides feedback as well as technical advice to each country and evaluates its progress on an individual basis. Once a country is agreed to meet the requirements, NATO can issue that country an invitation to begin accession talks. Currently, one country has a membership action plan, that is Bosnia. But Georgia and Ukraine also want a MAP, a membership acquisition plan. Former MAP participants were Albania and Croatia between May 2002 and April 2009, Montenegro between December 2009 and June 2017, and North Macedonia between April 1999 and March 2020, when they all joined NATO. The final accession process, once invited, involves five steps leading up to the signing of the accession protocols and the acceptance and ratification of those protocols by the governments of the current NATO members. After its formation in 1949, with 12 founding members, NATO grew by including recent Turkey in 1952, West Germany in 1955, and later Spain in 1982. After the Cold War ended and Germany re reunited in 1990, there was a debate in NATO about continued expansion eastward. In 1999, Poland, Hungary, and the Czech Republic joined NATO amid much debate within the organization and much Russian opposition. Another expansion came with the accession of seven Central and Eastern European countries, Bulgaria, Estonia, Latvia, Lithuania, Romania, Slovakia, and Slovenia. These countries were first invited to start talks on membership during the 2002 Prague Summit and joined NATO shortly before the 2004 Istanbul Summit. Albania and Croatia joined on 1st of April 2009, prior to the 2009 strasbourg Kiel Summit. The most recent member states to be added to NATO are Montenegro on the 5th of June 2017 and North Macedonia on the 27th of March 2020. As of early 2022, when we are going live here on this podcast, NATO officially recognizes three aspiring members, Bosnia, Georgia and Ukraine. 
Future expansion is currently a topic of hot debate in several countries outside the alliance. And countries like Sweden, Finland, and Serbia have open political debate on the topic of membership, while in countries like Ukraine, support and opposition to membership is tied to ethnic and nationalist ideologies. The incorporation of countries formerly part of the Eastern Bloc and the Soviet Union has been a case of increased tension between NATO's countries and Russia. What is known as intensified dialogue was first introduced in April 2005 at an informal meeting of foreign ministers in Vilnius, which is in Lithuania, as a response to Ukrainian aspirations for NATO membership and related reforms taking place under President Viktor Yushchenko and which followed the 2002 signing of the NATO-Ukraine Action Plan under his predecessor, Leonid Kuchma. This formula, which includes discussion of a full range of political, military, financial and security issues relating to possible NATO membership, had its roots in the 1997 Madrid Summit, where the participants had agreed to continue the alliance's intensified dialogues with those nations that aspire to NATO membership, or that otherwise wish to pursue a dialogue with NATO on membership questions. In September 2006, Georgia became the second to be offered intensified dialogue status. All this expansion to Russia's borders, including places like Poland and the Baltics, the Baltics being a stone's throw from St. Petersburg, is a very real danger to the Russian Federation, not least because on their eastern flank, i.e. in the Far East, Russia must face the U.S. military in the U.S. vassal states of South Korea and Japan. Russia has stated that its red lines are Ukraine and Georgia. If the U.S. turns Ukraine into a vassal state and adds nukes to that country, then the encirclement of the Russian state is complete and will result in an existential crisis for the Kremlin, leading to a hot war to keep Ukraine in Russia's sphere of influence. If you are Ukrainian, then it's the worst of choices. Just ask Cuba, Panama, Taiwan, Sri Lanka, Nepal, Bangladesh or Ireland what it's like to live next to a dominant, massive and aggressive neighbour. The real politique, though, is that unfortunately one has to accommodate that reality whilst trying to keep sovereign status alive. Using artificial defence mechanisms such as a partner thousands of miles away isn't really anything more than a bandage, especially if that partner partner is wishy-washy. Any enlargement of countries like Ukraine will also give neutral countries such as Finland, Hartbrun, who have good relations with all parties and would be crushed in any war regardless of their participation. A hot war is not advisable for Europe. To say the least, NATO must contain its expansion. However, that to me seems unlikely. NATO's entire reason to exist is to eliminate Russia. The removal of the Russian state and government is the objective. It is all there is to do. My worry is that naked ego and ambition in Washington and Moscow will turn out badly for countries bordering NATO. Russia has extraordinarily little to lose by attacking any NATO member since the endgame is the destruction of the Russian state itself. The original member state NATO countries have the most to lose because now they have inherited the egos and fears of ex-Soviet and Eastern Bloc countries that they would otherwise never have to think about. NATO is a successful military alliance that should have been disabled when the Cold War ended. Now it has become a threat to world peace. Sadly, NATO members 
do not see it as such. My hope is that eventually NATO abandons Ukraine and Georgia's membership, and Americans ask again what President Trump asked the alliance. What is its relevance? Why is the U.S. absorbing so much risk and footing the bill? And would the U.S. and Russia really go to nuclear war if Poland or Estonia were attacked? Why is the U.S. more worried about Ukraine's borders and not its own southern border? These are legitimate questions that Americans should be asking. Finally, if the destruction of the Russian Federation is the goal, and it is the goal, has anyone asked what they would do in the aftermath? That would be a lot of nukes and military hardware up for grabs. That also isn't an amazing outcome. Thank you again for listening to the Alternative History Podcast. Thank you so very much.